Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative. Piecemeal covers topics related to eating disorders, body image, and how society may influence our thinking. Please use your discretion when listening and speak with a therapist as needed. I'm your host, Jillian Lampert. We're thrilled and honored to help share another recovery story today. Avery Mock is here to share his. Avery is an anorexia survivor and mental health advocate dedicated to helping people recognize the warning signs of eating disorders and help others in recovery. And we certainly appreciate those efforts. Thank you so much for being here today, Avery. Welcome. Hi, it's great to be here. Fantastic. Well, we are so excited to talk about life in recovery to really celebrate all that recovery has given you and all the ways it's changed your life. But let's start with a little backstory. Tell us a little bit about your eating disorder. Uh, what type of eating disorder did you have? When and and really how did it affect your life? Well, in about early 2020, some certain personal things uh, kind of fell apart. <laughs> and so did the world. Uh, before, you know, all that happened, I had started taking a, a kind of a look at my physical well-being. And I was like, you know what, let me, let me attempt to do something. So, you know, I looked at some numbers and you know what numbers mean. <laughs> so I look at numbers and then I was like, okay, let me set a goal. And then, you know, months go by, 2020 starts. And then I was passing goals, making new ones. And then eventually it just completely fell apart because I was home all day. There was nothing else to do. Before I knew it, I was so far into this mindset and this like really, really vicious cycle of literally just on a daily obsessing over literally every little thing that I ate really. So obviously I'm talking about a restrictive eating disorder and it was anorexia. I was diagnosed around middle of June, 2020. I got help literally like five days later. That's fantastic that you're able to get help so quickly. And so unfortunate that your sort of story of things falling apart and then the world falling apart is, is really common. How did you feel with the eating disorder? How did it make you feel? How did you notice it sort of interfering with your life day in and day out? Well, I noticed that, well, physically, I had a lot less energy and in tandem with a lot less energy, I was not myself. I was not the person that I am today in the slightest. So I was angry at literally anyone I talked to. I was cutting people out and like just not talking to them or people who are huge parts of my life still. I was burning bridges essentially with them. It made me really bitter in a word. Like that, that was that was a real weird thing to have to recover from. Not only after you know you get home from treatment, you've kind of fixed yourself physically, you're still trying to recover mentally. You've also kind of walked over a lot of people because you were in bad moods perpetually for the length of you know pre-recovery eating disorder. I think that's so well, so well said. The eating disorder does just steamroller over your relationships and just sort of leaves a path in its wake that requires some tending when things are a little bit better. What, I'm, I'm curious about the period of time between I'm sort of knowing something was going on and, and then reaching out for help. What did that feel like? Maybe doubts, maybe fears. How did it feel to take action to get help? 
Well, initially, I didn't really understand what was going on. All I knew was I was depressed, incredibly depressed. I was isolating myself to the point where I literally didn't leave my room or like my area and didn't communicate with my family that I live with for days on end. And the only way I would communicate was if they went up to where I was uh, living. So I knew something was wrong, but it also, I also didn't want to stop. So I went online and I took a bunch of different tests for like a bunch of different things that I thought might've been wrong. And I eventually landed on eating disorder, which just, you know, checked all the boxes, made a ton of sense. And then uh, I think the test was like out of, out of 30, I scored 25. Well, initially, no, I scored 18, I think. And then as I got closer to June, I was scoring 25. I expressed all that to my therapist at the time. And she was like, we can, we can talk about this in session, but obviously uh, there was no more sessions because that was around March of 2020. So that didn't help much. Oh, I can't imagine that helped much at all to have that, that happen. So you eventually got to, to get a, an intake, a diagnosis and a level of care recommendation. And that recommendation was for inpatient care, as we understand. How did that land on you? How did it feel to hear that? and to receive that recommendation to do something totally different and, and get that kind of treatment? Well, I actually remember kind of the specific story. So I went to the Atlanta, um, the Sandy Springs location. So I, I went there, I had my diagnosis up on uh, the top floor, I think, and I was called back eventually. And then, you know, took blood work, all that stuff. This whole time, I was super, super close to passing out. All that time I was like, I was barely conscious. Eventually I got you know, to the uh, recommendation part, like what my treatment plan was supposed to be. And then uh, they needed to do one more blood draw for something. And so they were getting, telling me my recommendation. And then after that, or while they were doing it actually, I think they were doing the blood draw. And then she told me the recommendation of we recommend that you stay an inpatient. And if you get any worse, your parents can take you to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and basically, you know, force it on you essentially. And so I was like, I was kind of indifferent towards the idea of going to a long-term care facility. I kind of knew that was what was coming, but I didn't think the, you know, diagnosis or whatever for treatment was going to be over a month of stay. I didn't think that. What would you say for people who might be less sort of less enthused about treatment um sometimes people are like i don't want to go to treatment i want to do it by myself or i just i don't i don't want to go i'm 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 afraid i i just don't want to go or i'm not sick enough i think people often have no idea what to expect before treatment can you share how treatment compared to kind of what you expected if you you had any expectations and then how it felt once you got started well, I didn't honestly know at all what to expect for inpatient. I mean, there's, you know, I count on one hand the amount of movies that try to talk about it, but they never do a good job. And also pretty much every every facility is so different. So I didn't know exactly what was going what was gonna happen once I got there. But if you're hesitant, just know you will have good medical care. You will have moderate emergency like mental health care. And then the, the providers there are also very good quality. Thank you for that. 
it is it is often you know people don't really know what to expect and uh, part of the job of an eating disorder is to make the person think they don't need that and so it's really hard to imagine what it might be like i i think your experience of like oh it's maybe not as bad as you think it will be is fairly common once people get there they're like oh okay i can do this and actually feels like i have some sort of permission to do this, that I hear that from a lot of people, that like when I was in treatment and there were these staff people around and other people in treatment as well, kind of felt like I had permission to do it and I had enough support to be able to do it. When we think about like the, the process, you know, there's, there's treatment and different levels of care and uh, the process of recovery is, is, takes time and it's a lot of work. It's you know not glamorous. Those, um, as you say, those not very well done movies uh, sometimes sort of have this you know air of glamour or something about recovery. It's hard. It's really hard work. And we often hear people say it's the hardest thing they've ever done. They're they're really grateful that they did it, and yet it really is difficult. I I know that from my own experience. Like it's really hard. And yet we never hear people say they regret doing it. Was, was that the case for you? And if so, can you tell us why recovery is worth it for you? Recovery, it was a really hard decision to get into it first off, but I like to think of it as like a caged animal almost. When you first get, you know, I guess a dog, first get a dog, they don't wanna stay in the cage. They don't wanna stay in the cage. But eventually over time, it learns to, I guess, like the cage or understand the cage's purpose. And I kind of like to think of going into recovery, especially inpatient, if you've had an eating disorder for a long time that wasn't as uh, drastic as maybe mine was, it can be hard to want to learn how to control it when it's been a part of your life for so long. Learning how to accept the fact that it does need to be controlled is really, really difficult. But I don't regret in the slightest ever going to Veritas, ever getting diagnosed. I don't regret ever in the slightest doing that. That's great. And do you look back at all now that you're further along to your yourself then and have any reflections on what's different or what you can see has changed? Can you speak about that a little bit? Yeah. So I took a journal while I was in Veritas. I got it about a week after I got in there. I read that journal sometimes. And it's like, what the heck was I doing? Like, what, what is all this? Like, what am I thinking? What am I saying? Why are these words coming out of my mouth? Why, why are they, why, why are they important enough to where I thought I should write it down? And that's not to, you know, diminish the experience of anyone who goes through treatment and things they think during treatment or really who they are during treatment. But once you kind of get out of that mindset or like get out of the, uh, the circular pattern of how you think while you're in an eating disorder. Once you get out of that, you realize how, I guess, unimportant a lot of the things you're thinking are actually are. Because I mean, think about it. How important is eating? And you could construe that in the wrong way, obviously, but <laughs> it doesn't really matter a whole ton. Like, what do you do? You do it every day. The choices you make every day aren't really that important once you get to a healthy standard. Yeah, it turns out the number of whatevers in a certain food really aren't that important, right? Like that's that ob obsessive nature of the eating disorder. I think you 
paint that picture beautifully around, wow, that took up so much space in your mind, in your life, in your existence. There's a lot, there's a lot more <laughs> that could take up that space. It's maybe more important. And that that really, you know, demonstrates that the recovery really is and and eating disorders too, but it's really about so much more than food and eating. Like it's really more than that. What strategies or skills or support have helped you navigate the process of recovery? I think the biggest like pillar of support that I've that I leaned on during my entire time in recovery, it's kind of odd because I only really have it now. It's just it's reliability in my daily schedule. That's really about it. Because once I got to a point to where like I was like, I don't, I don't care anymore. Like eating is just taking up way too much of a percentage of my brain power. I can use it for so much more. I got to the point to where I was just like, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Let me just let me plan it out. Let me make sure I'm I'm eating enough. And then let me do more with my life than just think about exactly what I'm eating. Basically, the, the biggest pillar for me is just like daily, not repetition, but like daily structure. So like going to sleep at a normal hour. I mean, not the best about that, but waking up, doing something, and then going to bed is a big part of what kind of fuels a steady and stable recovery for me. I, I love how you say that. It is. It's so simple and beautiful. You wake up, you do some stuff, and you go to bed. And you repeat that each day. And that really helps bring some structure because once those things get out of out of whack, it's really hard for the brain to keep up. It's really hard to, to sort of mesh with the rest of the world and eating sort of can really take advantage of that. I, were there things that you were able to bring back into your world that you enjoyed doing or people that you enjoyed seeing or connections you were able to restore? Was there any of that piece of like, what was, what was restored for you in that process? Basically my whole social life. <laughs> I mean, once you get into the toxic like mindset of how eating disorders affect your your mind, you get to the point where I mean that's all you think about. So I mean, you don't have time for friends, you don't have time for relationships, you don't have time to you know make sure your relationships are in good standing. So I mean, you kind of almost cut off all your friends or cut off your relatives that you talk to or treat them poorly. Like I said, I was you know stomping over relationships that I had built for my whole life while I was during my eating disorder. Now that I'm in a pretty stable place, I have all that back basically. Like I have a social life now. I have uh, channels in which, you know, I can relieve stress and do things that's not, you know, work or school really. So I basically got pretty much everything that's not work or eating disorder (laughs) back in my life. I have like a stable group of people that I can rely on to kind of take my mind off of the annoying things of life, really. Excellent. Any um, recovery wins, like wins you notice in recovery that you can share with us? I was shopping for new pants and I'm a fairly tall person, so no pants from the store fit me. So I usually have to buy pants online. And I noticed, I was like, what size, usually back in my eating disorder, I would think, what size do I want to have? And now it's like, well, what size do I need? What size am I? It's like, I can't, I mean, I could change it. Do I want to? No, because it's not worth it. Like if I, if I wanted to change my size to just, just stupid lower number, like what does the lower number even mean? It doesn't mean anything. It's just a number of smaller value. I've gotten to the point to where I just don't care what size 
I am. Like I'm a healthy size. That's all I, that's all that matters. And I found myself just also at thrift stores. Aside from online, I found myself at thrift stores. I don't really care what the label says anymore. I try it on. Does it fit? Yes, no. Buy it. Do I like it? It's a really good milestone once you realize that your waist size doesn't matter. Your shirt size doesn't matter. It's literally just numbers that we assigned to sell pants more quickly. <laughs> That's basically it. So you don't have to get a tailor to make your pants. It's just a number. That's literally it. That's a beautiful way to think about it, right? It's efficiency putting a number on it. So, right, you don't have to go to another person, have them measure you and then sell you something. Labeling with a number is a more efficient process. I love that. And that you want pants that fit because you need pants, not having any more value or worth assigned to some cloth. That's really a beautiful way to think about it. So you mentioned this a little bit earlier and we ask, we ask everybody this at the sort of the last question of our recovery focused podcast. So I want you to add a little bit more if, if you have it, but somebody's listening right now, let's say, and, and maybe particularly a male like yourself. You know, we hear a lot about eating disorders in females and, and we hear less about eating disorders in, in other populations, including men. So imagine somebody's listening, they're in a, in a pretty tough spot. They might be thinking like, oh, I, I think I have an eating disorder and I, I don't know what to do. And maybe they're thinking like, yeah, that's all great for you, Avery. I'm so glad that you were able to do that, but, but that's not gonna happen for me. What would you say to that person? I would say, wow, you're just like me back when I was in the thralls of my eating disorder. So something that I would, some advice, I guess I would say is accept the recovery on a daily basis. You need to reality check yourself and see, is what I'm doing actually reality? Like, is it, is it based in reality? Like, for example, I've seen people who've, who've gone to treatment and they go to treatment, they get better for a certain amount of time and they fall back, but they don't fall back to the point they were before. So if, and that's also happened to me too, relapse is not a very fun part of recovery because you feel like, you know, you've gone backwards, but getting to the point to where you can get better for a certain period. And maybe you do have a, a fallback. Maybe you do. You'll get to a point where those fallbacks aren't as drastic. I actually did have a fallback recently. That's maybe like three weeks ago. I was, yeah, I was doing something regarding physical activity and I was like, hmm, you know what? I think if I did this regularly for a certain amount of time, I might look different. And then I was like, wait, no, that's, I don't really need to look different, nor do I really care to want to. I realized I basically fact-checked myself that was kind of disordered and that was kind of unhelpful to my current state of stability. Yeah, I like that encouragement of not every thought has to be acted on. You can call it what it is, like, well, that's not helpful and let it go. But I, I love your accept recovery. Like it is a lot about acceptance and having the vulnerability to say, okay, maybe, maybe it could be okay. Maybe I'll give it a try and keep trying every day. And I think that's where people get to where they say, yeah, that was really hard, but boy, sure was, sure was worth doing. Well, Avery, thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your story. It's so important to have stories out there and yours illustrates so much of what we talk about so, so beautifully. So thank you. Thank you for having me on. You're welcome.
If you enjoyed today's episode of Piecemeal, please subscribe, rate, or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Learn more about us at emilyprogram.com and veritascollaborative.com or search Emily Program and Veritas Collaborative on social media. Piecemeal is produced by Angie Mitchell and Nancy Linden with music by Dan Forte. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening.